exactly. It's not him. It's the Holy Spirit preaching. So while, are you, are you using this? Okay. So, yeah, you can come. Thanks. So while he's just getting ready, I'd just like to pray for him. Um, our Lord, Father, thank you for this wonderful gift in your church, Father. Thank you that you, you say that you give that fivefold ministry gifts for our benefit, for the equipping of the saints, Father. And I do pray that you will come right now and equip us so that we will be completely transformed, so that we won't be the same people that leave this building, that we will be changed, Father. Holy Spirit, come speak through him. And Lord, let, let these words um, find a place in our hearts where you can actually grow in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Well, good evening, and uh, such a delight to be with you all this evening. Um, yeah, it's our first time actually in Pinehurst PM. We visited, I think, back when you were Brackenfell in the morning once. I think you were meeting outside, actually, and then we, we met with you because there were renovations or something happening in the hall exams. So, yeah, my name is Mike, as was mentioned. I'm, I'm married to the beautiful Aidy, my wife. Uh, January now, we've been married 26 years. Uh, we have three children. Our oldest daughter is 23. Uh, she lives in Bloberg. We've got a middle daughter. She lives in the States, the free states. Um, she's in Bloemfontein, and she's studying. And we've got a son who is 16, and he is at home. He's in grade 11. So, yeah, and that's our family. We, uh, yeah, I've been serving Jesus and following him um, some, many times imperfectly for, for many years. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to come and uh, we actually live in Wellington, just over the, about half an hour away. I know sometimes when you drive from Wellington to this side of the world, especially more to Cape Town, people don't realize how close it is. Many people say, oh, are you sleeping over tonight? And then it's like, no, 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 it's not that far, you know. Um, but yeah, we live in Wellington, and I'm also involved in heading up a discipleship school called TMT, um, which, um, yeah, had the privilege to be involved in for a number of years, where we have many young people from all over the world. From this year, we've got students from Brazil, from the Netherlands, uh, from the Isle of Man, many from South Africa, from Namibia, uh, that come and they come together just to grow uh, in the year and grow in the Lord. So it's a real privilege to be involved in that. Um, yeah, and I'm just grateful to be a Christian, really, um, and to be a follower of Jesus. It's an incredible privilege. So what I want to do this evening is I want to share a word with you, and I've called it how to find our strength in God, or how to find our strength in the Lord. That's what I've entitled tonight. And, um, you know, I, I get the privilege of traveling around to different Josh Gen congregations and seeing what the Lord is doing. Um, you know, we are these, all these different congregations. I want to say we're a bit like one big crazy family. Uh, if you knew here... Um, you know, like what? You meet here, and then you meet somewhere else, and then you meet somewhere else. Uh, the best way I can exp explain it, if you come from a big family with lots of cousins and uncles and aunts, it's a little bit like that. You know, you all get together. Ah, oh, Uncle Luigi, you know, he's come from, and, and there's cousin so-and-so. And it's like, but we're all one in Christ. Obviously, if you're a Christian, we form part of the family of God because of our Father, and we share the same Father um, in Jesus. So, yeah, and so what I want to do this evening is share on, on how to find our strength in the Lord. And part of my concern um, sometimes for us as followers of Jesus is that we can get very focused on work. Or, and I know um, Dion, Donnie, uh, I had the Dira. Donnie was sharing about working hard. And there's truth in that. Obviously, the Bible does tell us to work hard, to have a good work ethic. 
But part of the danger is that we can bring that into our Christian life. And the basis of our Christian lives is about, can be about how hard we work and how much we do for the Lord and can be quite a dangerous place. You know, the Bible says that God does not delight in the legs of a man or the strength of a horse. That doesn't mean that God doesn't like you wearing shorts, um, that does, but it means that God does not delight in our human strength. If, if it comes from ourselves, um, He delights in those who fear Him and those who trust in His unfailing love. It continues to say, and being a Christian fundamentally is impossible to do in our own strength. It's impossible to um, even worship God in our own strength. It's impossible to come to the Father. Every moral effort we do can never be good enough. We, the Bible actually says, right, that we were dead, and we have to be made alive in order to even follow the Lord, um, to follow Him. And I, I think sometimes, I, and I want to bring us to the other side this evening, um, in terms of that the things that the Lord loves, is that He loves brokenness. He loves weakness. He loves dependence. And he loves those who are needy. And this is not very popular in our culture because we value strength. We value independence. But God sees that as offensive to him. Because Christianity is not a moral code that we try hard and we jump through all the hoops so we can get to heaven. Christianity is saying, Lord, effectively, I need to learn what it means to follow Jesus and to put my trust in him, to lean on him. That's what saves us. Um, and I really want to just bring us back tonight to look at, like, how do we put our strength in God? Because the Bible has a lot to say about believers putting their strength in the Lord. What does that mean? I know we use it around, but what does it actually mean? And hopefully I can unpack that for us tonight. Just again, that maybe you're a little bit like me. Um, you know, I grew up very conscientious. In other words, I want to work hard. I want to be diligent. I want to be faithful. I, you know, most of us want to do that. But the danger of that is we begin to lean in our own resources, so to speak, when actually God has something far different for us. Um, and I know for me, I need to hear this message. So even if, for me, I'm preaching to myself tonight, and to you, of course, but to me. So I'd like to start by reading four, four scriptures, very basically in terms of just four scriptures out of many that speak about putting our strength in the Lord. And then I want to look at two points in how do we actually put our strength in the Lord, all right? And if you're here tonight and maybe you're a seeker, you know, maybe you're not a, a, a Christian or you're looking in, maybe you've been a churchgoer, but you're not actually that person that has thrown yourself or surrendered fully to Christ. I really trust tonight as well for you that tonight would be meaningful. Uh, maybe if you've been here and you're a Christian for a long time, that also you would get renewed and refreshed to hear these things. And so let me read these four scriptures and dive in. Psalm 28, verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and my song, with my song I give thanks to him. Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart, and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Philippians 4.13, often known as the Superman scripture. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
By the way, this isn't got to do with anything to do with whatever you want, God will give you strength. It's actually speaking about having contentment in materialism and with finances. That's actually what it's dealing with. Not just that you can claim it for anything. It's actually got, of course, God does strengthen us in other areas, but this is actually speaking about our, what we have and how we need to be content. Whether you have much or whether you have little, God wants to be your strength. Let's look at the next one. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord. I love that. And in the strength of his might. Now, we read these things. It's like, yes, I'm going to be strong. Yes, I'm going to try hard. Yes, I'm going to give myself. But what does it actually mean to be strong in the Lord, to find our strength in God? And I want to give us two things this evening that we can unpack together um, and do so. Everyone all right? Can you understand my English? And I'm almost on the other side of the Burvos Gordain. But, uh, well, we live actually right in the, in the Burvos Gordain. So, yeah. How do we find our strength in the Lord? So, number one, I'm going to give you two things and unpack it. Number one, and I want to kind of rattle you a little bit this evening. I almost, I, I actually hope this evening that if you walk out of here a little bit disturbed, then I think I've done my job. In a sense, um, there's old saying that, a preacher should be able to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable, right? And I think there's a thing of that, is that if, you know, even for me, I need to be disturbed every now and again. I, you know, we, we, we kind of settle into this little equilibrium. So, number one, how do we actually find our strength in God? Number one, we have to confess and believe that we are weak. That fundamentally, that you and I are weak, and we are weak and unable to live the kind of lives that God would want us to live in our own strength, and actually it's believing that without being in Christ or having a relationship with the Father through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that fundamentally you and I are sinful, we are enemies, we are rebels, We are alienated from God, and we are offensive to God because of our sinful condition. It's as if we we obviously know we have a virus, and because God is holy and and just and pure, the Scripture says that in Him um, is light, and there is no darkness in Him. He's just full of light. And so because we're born into a condition of sin, it's like we know we constantly just work our way to Him. And, and the thing is this, is that even, I want to say as a Christian, that you have, to, you have to understand and confess that even now that you're a Christian, that you are still weak and in your own strength, unable to come to God. You have to understand and believe that. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa. And I know some of you here, hang on, there's an objection. You know, I've been taught, and actually the New Testament says that when you're a Christian, The Bible calls you a saint. That means that you've been set apart, and when God sees you, because you're hidden in Jesus, in His Son, when God looks at you, He sees you as perfect, as righteous. You're credited with the perfect obedience of His Son. And, and, you know, that's true. We actually are. You, You know, I am loved by God. You are loved by God, that when God looks at you, we don't, He sees all our imperfections, but He sees us, obviously, as perfect. Not because of our own works, but because of Jesus on our behalf, you know, and 
It's a beautiful thing that, and I think sometimes that simple truth is one that we can be reminded of. I know I actually, I actually say it to myself from time to time. I remind myself, Mike, you are loved by God. You are loved by Him. You are accepted by Him, but not because of my work, but because of His work, the work of Jesus, who lived the life I should have lived, and who died the death that I should have died, the punishment that I should have paid. And it's such an important part that we sometimes forget. You know, we, I don't know about you, you know, but I forget. I, I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, um, you know, the priests. And uh, I grew up, I'm, I'm a French descent, come from French background. My father's French. And I grew up in the Catholic Church. And, uh, and I always thought, you know, yeah, you've got to work so hard to get to God, to impress God, to please God. And when I understood the gospel, you know, it's just, it's just like I'm loved by God. And I actually forget that from time to time. I find myself drifting in almost a legalism. And I try hard in my own strength and I get tired and worn out. Uh, and then I realize, oh, I've forgotten about Jesus because um, we have all these other things. And, uh, and, but I want to say this. That did you know that although the Bible calls you a saint, that's good news. He also calls you, a, he calls, we, we called sinners. And we are simultaneously on this earth. You're not just a saint. You're not just a child of God. You're also simultaneously someone that falls short every day, that also sins and and messes up and and is in need of grace every single day. Every day we have to come to him. Every day we have to trust him. Every day we seek out grace upon grace um, from him. And, you know, it's interesting, like the Apostle Paul, um, and why I'm sharing this, and, again, I'm trying to lay a platform here, but why I'm sharing this is that, you know, some of the greatest men in the Bible, give you an example of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, when he was an older man, and if you know a little bit about the Apostle Paul, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He had great revelation. He had been to the third heaven. He had experienced the mercy and the goodness of God. He had been utterly changed by, by Jesus. And this man, later on, even though he had raised the dead and he, had, he, he must have been a really holy man in some ways, you know. And this man, he writes, and I wanted to look at three scriptures about how he saw himself. And, and again, how do we believe who we are? We fundamentally have to believe that we are in need of God all the time. And look what he says about himself, this great man that we often quote. And three scriptures I want to give you. 1 Corinthians 15.9, this is actually C, um, in AD 54. Paul writes, and he says this. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. How does he see himself? He doesn't go, do you know who I am? Do you know, do you know how important I am? You know? Do you know how important I am before God? Like he sees himself. He's not insecure. The guy doesn't have an insecurity complex or, you know, he's some kind of inferiority. He genuinely believes that he's the least of the apostles. And he says, I'm the least because I know what I was and I know the mercy of God. And that's what he says around AD 54 when this was written. Let's look at the next scripture. Um, he wrote this in AD 61 around there to the Ephesians. Ephesians 3 verse 8. He says, to me, though I'm very least of all the saints, that this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He says, to me, though, I am the very least of the saints. So he doesn't even say I'm the least of the apostles. I'm even the least of all the saints. And he's not trying to be super humble here, you know. He doesn't really mean it. He really believes and understands that actually he understands the magnitude of the mercy of God. 
I'm the least of all the saints. And let's look at the next one, 1 Timothy 1.15. And I left this for last because here he's, a, he's, he's already an, an older man, and he had done a lot for God and with the Lord. And here's the, this is the kicker. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I think the old King James says, I am the chief of sinners. Oh, yeah, Mike, yes, he was the worst kind of sinner, you know. No, no, no. What does he say? I? I am. In other words, currently, although he's this great man, he understands that although he's loved by God and God has saved him and plucked him out of his old life, he fundamentally understands that he's also a sinner in need of grace every day. In other words, he still doesn't quite love the Lord like he should. He doesn't quite always get it right. He is in need of him because he falls short of the glory of God. And I know for me, you know, that I think for us, if you want to receive grace upon grace or you want to walk in the strength of the Lord, you have to believe that you in yourself are weak. And every day we've got to go to him and to, in a sense, say, Lord, this is who I am. And a good illustration, is everyone with me? You're with me on this one. And so a good illustration is like a yacht. I know the old Puritan preachers used the example of a boat. And they said, like, imagine a big boat. My, my father was a yachtsman, um, a sailor. We, I was born in the, in the Seychelles. He used to sail a lot in the Seychelles. Where's that? It's near Mauritius. That's where I'm from. What are you doing here, Mike? Good question. Why am I here? <laughs> and that's where I'm from. And so my dad would often explain to me that with these schooners or yachts uh, or big ships or boats, especially the ones with the sails, you had this magnificent mast with a sail, and the sail would propel, you know, it would give the, the boat a power and strength and uh, enable it to, 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 to go forward. And that's what our relationship with the Lord is like. It's, it's a sail where you are in Christ. You've been given dignity, and you, you've been recreated into the image of God. You, you've been loved, and, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing. But then the boat also doesn't just have a sail, but it has a keel under the boat, and my father would always say to me, the keel is very, very important. You can't see it. It's hidden, but it's vital. And the reason it's vital is because it creates ballast or stability to the boat. And he often used to explain, it's like, don't worry, if you're in a storm, this, you know, the keel will keep it upright because it's, it, it's like a cork. The boat is like a cork. And if it goes under, it'll, it'll always flip right again. I was like, okay. Uh, I believe you, but, you know, I don't want to test that theory out. But he said, no, 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 no. And he had been in many storms, and he had been flipped and all that. And he said, because of the keel underneath, there was always created this, 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 this kind of ability for it to be buoyant. And I want to say to you, my friends, is that, in a sense, uh, Martin Luther, the great performer, said that if, as a Christian, you're simultaneously saint, you have this, the mast, and sinner, you've got the keel, and it creates a sense of humility and dependence on God. And I want to say, do you believe that? Because if you don't believe both, you're actually in trouble. And you become self-confident. You become arrogant. You become proud. You become self-righteous. And you begin to lean on your own strength rather than him. And I think it's healthy to go to the Lord every day. Lord, I am a sinner. I know I'm loved by you. But Lord, I am like Paul. I am, I'm the chief of sinners. Oh God, I'm not quite where I should be. I'm like, you know, I'm, I've got this big sign over my head, under construction, simultaneously, uh, you know, perfect in Jesus, but simultaneously broken 
and knowing that, that I, under the hood, God is working, right? And so that's number one. How do you find the strength of the Lord is you have to confess that you are weak. I don't know if we hear that much, but I, it's, it's very important. Number two, we have to ongoingly appeal to God's strength. That's number two. That in order to walk in the strength of the Lord, you have to appeal to the Lord's strength. What do we mean by that? I'm going to unpack that for us now. And I want to start with an illustration, a story. And in the United Kingdom, the sport of hunting deer, you know those little um, English deer, beautiful little creatures, right? The sport of hunting deer was very popular. And the hunters, English hunters, would breed dogs called deer hounds to smell out and chase the deer and catch them for their owners who would follow them on their horses. And so you've seen enough movies where you've probably seen that take place, you know, with the lords, tally-ho, you know, on your horse and you've got the, you know, the dogs, off they're going, they've got their guns and they're going to go and hunt deer. I want to share the story about what happened. It's an illustration that I read. A dear friend of mine, who was quite a lover of the hunt, told me the following story. Rising early one morning, he said, I heard the baying of about 20 deer hounds in pursuit of their prey. Looking away to a broad open field in front of me, I saw a young fawn making its way across and giving signs, moreover, that its race was nearly over. Reaching the rails of the enclosure, it leapt over and crouched within 10 feet of where I stood. So this farmer was watching the scene and one of these little deer, these fawns, had realized it was going to get eaten, and so it, it leapt over this little fence and was trying to come close to the farmer, and the farmer's watching this. A moment later, two of the hounds came over with a fawn. When the fawn ran in my direction and pushed its head between my legs, I lifted the little thing to my chest and swinging round and round, fought off the dogs. I felt just then that all the dogs in the West could not and should not capture the fawn after its weakness had appealed to my strength. So it is when human helplessness appeals to Almighty God. My friend, what a beautiful picture. It's this idea, this little thing comes and knows it needs rescue, puts its little head between the legs of the farmer. The farmer picks it up, appeals to his strength. And I want to say that's exactly what the Christian does. And I want us to look at two examples tonight of how we have to appeal to the strength of God. And in a sense, isn't that how the Christian life starts? Like, how do we become born again? How do we enter under God's rule and reign? How do we come into his family well, the Bible says, in a sense, that we have to appeal to him. We, we realize that we are weak and broken and sinners and alienated from God. And the reason we get saved is because we know we need rescue, right? We know that the, the hounds of hell are after us, that sin is baying at the door, you, and you realize it's inside of you. And, you know, if you have come and you say you're a Christian because, like, oh, yeah, I, because, you know, it's like, I, you know, what has Jesus got to offer me? Or you say, no, I'm a Christian because like, hey, the church is awesome and I need a kind of a, a family to be loved. You know, that's why I'm a Christian. Or I'm a Christian because, um, you know, the songs are awesome. No, 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 no. You're a Christian. If you understand, you, you, being a Christian means that you understand that you've been rescued. 
And that that is why you're in need. If you don't understand you're in need, you can never have a doctor. If you don't understand you're sick, you can never go to the divine uh, physician. Then all it is is you're religious. That's all you are. But what makes a person born again is you're driven by desperate need, actually. And I was like that. I remember being 17. I grew up in this religious home. I thought I was a good person. But I grew up, uh, but uh, kind of a year before I became a Christian, I had this realization that I was lost and broken and in need of rescue. It like dawned on me that, oh my word, I think I'm in trouble. Right? And from that place, I came to Christ and I said, Lord, would you forgive me for my sins? Sure, I'm, I actually need you. Because I realized that without you, I am terrified of what my eternity could look like. I want to say, if you don't come to Christ like that, if you just say, well, I've just made a decision, you know, because it's just a good idea and because, you know, my parents said I should or, you know, I grew up in a family like that, you are not a Christian. I want to make that clear. But Bible-wise, the Bible says you must be born again. You, you realize you're dead, you realize you're in trouble, and you have rescue, and he comes and rescues you. Again, I'm, I know I'm saying the obvious, and I know I'm kind of relaboring, but I want to say that because, you know, we're in a very religious society. Um, I live in Wellington, <coughs> very religious. People think, you know, oh, well, but I drift into God's family. <laughs> you know, God doesn't have grandchildren. He's got children, and those children are birthed into his family. Through, the, through Jesus. So two examples. Uh, how do we appeal to strength? And as believers, how do we do that? Number one, I want to use the example of David. And number two, I want to use the example of Paul. Uh, and so David, let's look at 1 Samuel 30 verse 6. Here's the example of David who appealed to the Lord when he was in trouble. And let's see that what happened here. Verse 6. And it says this. David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him because the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. What happened was quickly was that um, David wasn't yet the king of Israel, but he was kind of with a group of people that uh, he looked after in a sense. And the people in his tribe or his clan, the group that he was looking after, they got um, kidnapped by these raiding uh, marauders, these Philistines, whoever they were, this tribe, they came and they took away all the wives and children while David and his men were out at battle. While they were at war, they came in and they, they stole the men and the, the children and the, and, the, and the women. And when the men came back into the camp, they blamed David for what had happened. And they said, David, you're a terrible leader. It's like, why did you allow this to happen? And David was deeply distressed because his own children were kidnapped. His own wives were taken away. And in that place, he was deeply distressed. And they wanted to actually, you know, it says they wanted to stone him. They wanted to kill him. So was the depth of feeling that they had. And in that place, when David was in trouble, what did he do? He begins to appeal to God and to the strength of the Lord. What, what does he say? I love this at the end. It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. And I want to say that, that part of learning how to appeal to God's strength is learning how to come to him, sometimes out of desperation when we're in trouble. And it's often when we're in trouble. Because when things are going well, it like feels like we don't always need the Lord as much, right? It's going well. But when we're in trouble, we suddenly become much more aware of our need for strength and grace and courage. 
And David, it says, strengthened himself. How did he do that? Well, we don't know. It doesn't tell us how. But one of the things that we do know, that if you go through the book of Psalms, and I love the book of Psalms, because Psalms is like an inner biography of David's soul. You get to see what it's like before him and God. It's like this inner story that no one, and you get a peek into his quiet time and into his prayer life. And if you read Psalms, you get an idea of this was a man that wrestled with God. That when he came to him, he poured out his heart to him, that he didn't just have his quiet time. This man poured himself out to the Lord when he was in distress. And I can almost imagine, you know, David like that, like getting before God, oh God. Have you ever done that before? Oh God, how I need you right now. Out of desperation. And somehow in that place where he's pouring himself out to the Lord, what does the Lord do? Strengthens him. He finds strength and he gets up and suddenly he finds himself with courage. Okay, I can do this. And he's able to lead the people. And we know what happens. He becomes the king of Israel. He becomes the greatest leader in Israel's history. But this was a pivotal moment. What was he going to do? And he strengthened himself. I want to ask you, do you have the ability, my friends, to strengthen yourself in God? You know, sometimes if there's no one around, have you learned, in a sense, how to dig your own well? And if we haven't, it's an opportunity. The Lord will give you an opportunity to put you into trouble so that we can cry out to him and get to know him in a deeper way. And we get, then we really get to know the Lord. I know the times that I've grown the most in my, in my faith have been the times when I've been in the deepest valley, when it's been dark. The times I've got to know what, what Jesus is really like have been often in times of desperation and times of great need. And suddenly the Lord comes through and reveals himself. gets courage to lead. Let's look at the example of Paul. That's David. I think sometimes, let me say this. I think sometimes we're too nice in our prayer life with the Lord. Um, you know, do you understand what I mean by nice? It's like we pray nice prayers to the Lord. Uh, I know I've struggled with this because coming out of a, out of kind of a church background or a home, I thought like, Lord, I better say, I better say the right prayer because you want to hear the right kind of prayer. And I prayed the right kind of prayer. And then I read Psalms and I realized that David wasn't nice towards God. Sometimes he got angry at God. Sometimes he would cry out, where are you, O Lord? Right? Sometimes the Bible says that he would complain to the Lord. In fact, and some of you would know this, but two-thirds of the Psalms, the book of Psalms, are what we call songs of complaint. It's like singing the blues, you know, you know, literally like the blues, you know, it's songs of complaint and it feels a bit negative and you read some of the Psalms and if you, you know, because we like the parts and I do, I like going to the parts that are nice and, you know, rejoice before the Lord, you know, and sing with him, you know, shout to the Lord, you know, he's a God of triumph and we have all those nice Psalms that we go to or Psalm 84, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere, you know, but then we miss the other Psalms. Most of them, which is David's deep wrestle, where he cries out to God. And I want to say that complaining is not a sin if you are complaining to God. It's not a sin. That's what David did. Go read the prophets. If you go read Jeremiah and the prophets, one thing they often did was complain to God. 
It's not a sin if you go to God because it's a sign that you trust Him. And rather than go to someone else, you're pouring it out to the Lord. And somehow in the, in the, He's pleased with that. God is not insecure with our complaints and with our, our messiness and our blech. Somehow it pleases Him because Scripture says that a broken and contrite heart, O oh Lord, you will not despise. It's such a beautiful thing. And... Um, and so I want to say the problem is this, is when you stay complaining. You know, you can be on grumble copy, but if you stay on grumble copy forever, there's a problem. The whole point of pouring out your complaint, it's actually a form of worship, is that you can make your way to praise mountain. Right? You can begin to praise him. But it starts with working through and being honest with God. And I know I've had to learn to be a bit more honest with the Lord. Lord, this sucks. Where are you, Lord? It's like, you know, where are you? And what you're doing, you're strengthening yourself in the Lord. By doing that, that is how you strengthen yourself in the Lord. You're going to him, you're digging deep, you, 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 you're letting it all out. And that's what church is, right? We're a people that are real with each other. Why can't we be real with him? Let's look at the example of Paul, the second example. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. Now, this is a scripture that often freaks people out. It's freaked me out. The scripture dealing with Paul, and it speaks about the thorn in the flesh. This famous piece of scripture, you know, the thorn in the flesh. Like, what does this mean? And, and it's basically, let's read, what hap- read it, and we see again how Paul appeals to God and appeals to the Lord's strength when he's feeling very weak. Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. So to keep me from be- becoming conceited or arrogant or proud... Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me and to keep me from becoming conceited. It's like, what? You mean there was like a a messenger, like a demonic entity that was somehow harassing the apostle Paul and Paul calls it the thorn in his flesh. And now there's some like uh, disagreement or argument about what that could be. Some say it was actually to do, it was actually a physical ailment that he had, like bad eyesight, and he did struggle with physical ailments, right? He got sick, there were problems with his health, and so some think it's to do with that. We're not sure what it actually means, but we know that God is allowing suffering to take place over this great man, Apostle Paul, and he says this in verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So three times. Lord, please, would you take this thing away from me? Nothing. Lord, would you please take this thing away from me? The Lord, no. Okay, praise again. Lord, would you please take this thing away from me? Maybe he's even fasting. The Lord says no. What? Do you know where else in the Gospels we find that there's another man who prays three times for the Lord to take away from him. Jesus, three times in the Garden of Gethsemane, three times Jesus prays to the Father, three times he asks him, Father, please would you take this cup of suffering away from me? Like, you know, that he's innocent, and he's going to take on the judgment of the world, our sins upon him, the punishment due for you and I upon him on the cross. Three times he prays, what does the Father say? No. I've called you to this. And of course, Jesus willingly gave himself for that. 
And he says, okay, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. You get the glory. And the same way with Paul. Let's go back to Paul. And Paul says this, uh, but, but three times that it should leave me. And he, the Lord, said to me, and I love this, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, another way of saying it, he's saying to him, my grace, my, my power, my undeserved favor and kindness towards you, I'm going to uphold you. He says, it's enough for you. Right now, the only thing that's going to sustain you is my grace. In other words, I'm going to let you go through something very difficult, but I will be enough for you. Then he carries on. He says, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content. You see that word content, same as Philippians 4. I'm content in all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Saying the same thing here. I, I'm content with weakness. What? I am content with insults. I am content with hardship. I am content with persecutions and calamities or trials. Then he says, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. What is happening here? Somehow he realizes that actually... God is stripping away his own strength, and he's replacing it with his strength. You see, the issue here is not that Paul's saying, oh, well, I guess I'm going to go around. I'm a victim then, you know. Oh, no, I'm just going to be really weak, and woe is me. He doesn't do that. He's actually full of joy, and he's, he's actually overcoming. Because look what he says. He says in verse 9, this is what Jesus says to him, my power is made perfect, but in your weakness. But I'm going to give you power. But it's not the way that you expect. And again, in verse 10, and then he kind of repeats that. He says, you know, I'm going to boast of my weakness because I want the power of Christ to rest on me. He wanted the power of Jesus on his life. But how does it come about? It comes about through weakness, through trial, through when he's the most desperate. That is when the power of God comes. And it's so different from what we expect. It's so different from what we've been taught is we need the power of God, but sometimes the Lord, and if you've been praying, Lord, give me your power. Sometimes the power of God says, okay, I'm going to give you your power. You think you're better than the Apostle Paul? I'm going to give you my power, but I'm going to maybe take you through adversity. You know, and God gives two gifts to us. Someone once said this. God gives the gifts of prosperity. He gives you good things because he is a good father. But he also, because he's a good father, he will sometimes give you the gift of adversity. In other words, the gift of trials and of hard times. That comes from the Lord. And if you cannot have a, if we don't have a theology, the man or the woman that doesn't have a, a, a belief in that, when hard times come, you will deny your faith. Because you say, but how could God do that? I thought he was meant to be good. And now look at all these bad things that happened to me. Well, people in the Bible that were good had many bad things that happened to them. And it was the means of God to shape them to be holy. I must say, I love what uh, Yandri was saying. Got your name right? Yeah. Yandri was saying um, earlier, you know, during worship, we were singing that song, Lord, refine me like fire. I don't know about you as well. I was also thinking like, oh, God. I don't even want to sing the song, you know. You know, when we sing like, make me like, you know, take me through the fire, make me like gold. 
I mean, the process of gold is really, I mean, you're purifying through heat. Okay, I'm going to turn up the heat. And then we go on Monday, and we've had like the worst day ever. Our boss is like, seems like he's, you know, been resurrected from hell. And he's the devil himself that's like, you know, come back. And, and suddenly it's like, what's going on? And everything's hard. Suddenly, you know, something breaks, or you get, your child gets ill, or you, you know, have a terrible day. But you see, the Lord, somehow in the wisdom of God, and I, I don't know why this is, but if we have to read the Bible and we take it at its merit, yes, God blesses, but sometimes God's blessing means I'm going to make you weak. Because in your weakness, you're going to learn my power in a way that you wouldn't be when you're strong. It's like, oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, Lord. Isn't this, I want to ask you, what are the thorns in your life? My friends, what are the thorns that you are facing right now? Do you have any thorns in your life? A difficult boss? Maybe a difficult teacher? A difficult situation? Maybe your finances are, are really in a tough space right now. Maybe you're in a situation where you've got a family challenge. Or you've got a health issue. Like you really, like, man, I've got a thorn. And I've asked God, God, would you take this away? But it hasn't gone away. Maybe, maybe the Lord is wanting to rather take you through it rather than take you around it. And maybe it's because God is more concerned with your holiness, as someone once said, than with your happiness. I think it was David Forson who said, God wants you to be happy in the next world, so he makes you holy in this one. But the world wants you to be happy in this world, but then you won't be holy in the next one. If the goal is happiness, we're here for the wrong reason. If the goal is holiness... Joy and happiness follow. It does. Joy comes in the morning, as the psalmist says. But oh, in the night, it's hard. And all I want to do tonight is, you know, we've got a long year ahead of us. I know we all are hoping for a wonderful year. I am. Man, I want a good year. I want, I want fruitfulness. I want, I want a good year, man. You know, I don't want ESCOM to be, I want, you know, I, I want like there to be power. I want, I, I want to be able to run the aircon, you know, in the heat in well. I just want, I want God to bless my finances. I want to be healthy. I, you know, I want our marriage to do well. I, I want those things. I want the blessing of God and he wants to give it. But it's just like, but Lord, not my will. Oh, Lord, yours be done. You are still good. But I don't know what kind of gift. You know, blessed be the name of the Lord. Like Job says, you give and you take away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. And I want to close with this. I've been going quite long. But I want to close with this scripture. It's a promise in Habakkuk chapter 3. Um, what happens to those who put their strength in the Lord? And I want to end with this, this scripture. Habakkuk 3, 18 to 19. And if you know this portion, I would encourage you, go read the chapter on your own at home. And um, this portion deals with someone whose life has gone pear. He's a farmer and he's losing everything. Right? And he's in a place where he's encountering a lot of loss. And this is how he responds in this place of loss and um, kind of calamity. He says this in verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And then he says this. God the Lord is my. Say with me after me. God the Lord is my. Is my strength. And then this is the part that I want to give you. Here's the promise. Here's the result of putting your strength in the Lord. It says, he makes my feet like the deer's and he makes me tread on high places. 
when God is your strength, He makes your feet like deer's feet. And you see the deer um, in those areas in Israel, the mountain deers or the mountain goats, I'm sure you've seen videos of this, but they have an ability to skip on the heights and often kind of navigate very, very dangerous places without slipping. They have incredible balance. What is, what is, the, the, what is Habakkuk saying here? He's saying, Lord, even though I'm in a very dangerous situation right now, when, when you are my strength and I appeal to your strength and I realize in my weakness that I'm in need of you, you are going to make sure that I'm not going to slip. And you will hold me. Even when I'm in very dangerous, God will keep you. He will make your feet like deer's feet, it says, and tread on the high places. How does that happen? Because of God's mercy and God's goodness. I'd like to pray for us as we close, just that we again, this evening, we would appeal to the strength of the Lord. So let's bow our heads and pray. Praise you, Father. Oh, we worship you tonight. Just where you are, just, why don't you just appeal to the Lord right now? Just confess, oh Lord, may you be my strength. Would you be my shield? Would you be my fortress? Would you be the one that I lean upon? And I want to pray just as we are in this place. I want to pray for a couple of groups of people. The one I want to pray for is if you are here tonight and you are not um, actually a Christian in the sense of maybe you have been trusting in yourself and you, Jesus is not your Lord. You know, you're not following after him. Maybe you've come to church, or, but you're actually not following him. The Bible says that in order to be a Christian, you've got to be a follower of Jesus. In other words, you have to, you've got to submit to Him, obey His commands. And maybe you know tonight that you've been running away from the Lord, far from Him. And you know that the Lord tonight, you know that He's drawing you. You know that He has got your number. And you also know that you're in need tonight. Maybe you know that you are lost and that you're in trouble. If that's you, I wonder, there's good news for you tonight. That the Bible says that Jesus came on a search and rescue mission to save you at your worst. Thank God. And He loves you. I want to say, is there anyone like that tonight? Raise your hand where you are, just with every head bowed. Say, Mike, that's me. I, I want to make right with the Lord. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want my sins to be forgiven. I know that actually I'm in trouble with the Lord. <laughs> I'm falling away from Him or I'm hard my heart. I know that I'm in trouble. Is there anyone? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Just, just keep your hand up. I want to pray for you both. Okay. Anyone else this evening? Just, okay. Father, we want to, let's just pray. Let's pray for, for, the, for the two of you. Father, we want to thank you for this young man and this young lady this evening that have responded. They're not responding to me. Father, they're responding to you. And right now where they are, we want to ask you, Lord, to come and give them hope. I want to say to you before the Lord tonight that Jesus loves you at your worst. You don't have to impress Him. You don't have to jump through hoops. You've got to come and say, Lord, I, I need you. And would you just, even where you are now, just say, Lord, would you come again and soften my heart? Would you forgive me of my sins? And just in your heart, say, Lord, I'm going to choose to, to turn away from my sin. And I want to choose to follow after Jesus. 
And would you come right now and forgive me of my sin? Oh, would you soften my heart? Would you give me a new heart and take out a heart of stone? Would you do that over these two individuals, Father, we pray tonight? Would you do the miracle over their lives? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Then for the rest of us, I want to pray. And, um, are there any of you that need the strength of the Lord this evening? Um, I want you where you are, and maybe to be brave with this, because, you know, we are, we are a family of faith, and part of strengthening comes as we pray for each other. Thank God for that, right, that we're not on our own. Um, and sometimes we need just a brother or sister to pray, but we all need strength. I don't know about you, I need help. I, I really need help. But maybe you're here tonight, and you really, really need help. It's like you're in a situation that you're in a, you're like, Lord, I really need you to come through for me. I need the strength of the Lord. Anyone like that this evening? Thank you. What, what I want us to do is for those, we are going to, can we all stand together? Let's stand. And I want us to do something a little bit different. And uh, if you, if that's you, just re- keep your hand up nice and loud. You need, you need the Lord's help. Oh God, help me, please. Oh, I need your strength. What I want to do is, you know, we're, we're a family of faith. We encourage each other. And I want those around you to look at those who have raised their hands. Um, and I want you to turn around and pray for them. We can all do that. If you may be um, new here, you don't have to do that. But for all those that are part of this family, I want you to find someone with their hand raised and go to them and just pray, pray for them. Just don't have to, you're not there to counsel them. You're just there, there to pray the best prayer you can for them. Just encourage them as you can. Maybe the Lord will give you something. Um, so let's do that right now. Look around, find someone who's got their hand raised, and, um, and go and pray for them. Can we do that? Let's do that right now. Come, Lord Jesus.